Dear God, I pray this simply that your Holy Spirit would do his work tonight. Uh, give us a passion to know you. Help me to articulate these truths clearly and in a way that encourages and strengthens your people tonight. I ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, so, uh, if, uh, if you were to walk into my bedroom at my house, which would be creepy, don't just do that randomly, but if I were ever having you over and you were to come over and come step inside my bedroom, you would see immediately when you walk in to your left, hanging on the wall across from my, uh, bed there in, in the room is this big wooden sign that's painted, uh, in there and and painted on uh, this big wooden sign is this verse from the Bible. It's a it's a semi-famous verse. Uh, a, a lot of people know it. For a number of people, they, they may chalk it up as their favorite verse in the Bible. It's Psalm forty six ten. I don't know if you uh, if you know that one. When I say it, if if it comes to mind, it goes like this: Be still and know that I am God. Uh, a very famous verse and, and one that uh, my wife actually, she requested this for Christmas a couple years ago to, to have that built and painted. I did the building, I didn't do the painting, uh, but uh, to, to have that for Christmas. And so we got that put up in there and, and we have that hanging there right where we can see as Rimbed as, as this reminder for us of uh, God's uh, ability to be in control, that no matter how crazy things may feel for us, no matter how stressed we might feel in the moment or, or um, how up or down things are, is this reminder that it is not on us to strain and strive and make everything work the way we want it to, that God is in control and that He is God and, and that we can trust Him to work things out for His glory and ultimately for our good. Uh, it's also a verse that a lot of people really love, and, and I think a lot of people would say that that verse encapsulates what prayer is, what prayer is supposed to be about. That is, prayer is a time when I come before God and remember who He is, and that He is in control, and it is a time for me to depend in on Him, trust in Him, rest in Him. And, and the very idea of that verse for a lot of people, and the kind of prayer that it is, uh, kind of brings up these ideas of peace and tranquility and calm and rest. And, and I think that those are some really great pictures for what it can be to pray. Um, but it is not a great picture for what all prayer should be. It's not what all prayer looks like, and it's certainly not the kind of prayer that Paul is describing at the end of Romans 15 when he pleads with uh, the church there in Rome, these people who many of them don't even know him, for them to pray together with him for the ministry that he's doing, for the offering that he's going to be bringing to Jerusalem, um, hoping that the, the church there will receive it and hoping that the wicked men there who want to try and get a hold of him will not be successful. Um, I mentioned this in, in the teaching that we did earlier in the week. If you got a chance to watch the video, it's Romans 15 verse 30. And this is what Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. To strive together uh, in your prayers. That's, a, that's an interesting word to use for praying. It's actually that word strive there in, in the Greek. Uh, it's, 
It's a word that's used, I think, eight different times in the New Testament, and it's used in different ways. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that's used to describe military battle, like military struggle, one against another. Um, it's, a, it's a word that Paul actually uses to describe um, an athlete competing in like the Olympic Games, like striving towards the finish line, struggling to overcome an opponent. Uh, it's a word that is used uh, uh, to describe a ministry, that, that Paul works hard in ministry, that he strives and strains towards what he's supposed to do. And it is a word that is used here and at least two other times that I'm aware of to describe praying. Uh, so the question is, why does Paul use that as his definition of prayer? Uh, or not definition. Why does he use that word here to describe praying uh, for him? I, I think the reason why is because he wants to imply, just like he uses this word for ministry, he wants to say to the church in Rome, this is your ministry with me. Uh, this is how you work together with me to accomplish God's great purposes. And and yes, prayer can be peaceful, and yes, prayer can be comforting, but sometimes it's wrestling. Sometimes it's fighting. Sometimes it's struggling, and I'm asking you to do that with me, Rome. Uh, it's not uncommon for Paul to ask for prayer in his letters. Usually it's at the very end. He makes a request to the church he's writing to, hey, please pray for these things for me, pray alongside of me for these things to happen. In Second Thessalonians three one through two, he he asked the church there to pray that the word of God would speed ahead and that he would be delivered from wicked men. In Colossians four verses three through four, he he asked the church there to pray that God would open a door for the gospel and that he would be able to speak it or articulate it clearly to people. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 11, after undergoing some severe affliction, he pleads with the church there in Corinth to pray along with him for his continued deliverance, that God would continue to take care of him and save him. And then one of my favorite comes in Ephesians six nineteen through 20. I wrote it. I don't know if you guys can see it or not. Ephesians six nineteen through 20. Actually, I want you to go there. Uh, if you've got your Bible, uh, Take a minute to go there. It's four books over from Romans. So Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, because I really like this, this verse a lot. Not muted, just giving you a second to find it. All right. Here's what it says. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. I love that verse. Uh, one, because I personally identify with it. When it comes to speaking the gospel, I need so much this, uh, this prayer, I need God to provide me with boldness. And so I can resonate with that. When Paul says, pray that I would speak the gospel boldly as I should, and, and that my mouth would be opened, uh, that the message would be given to me so that I would say the right thing. I pray that prayer for myself, and it's one that I need. I also love this one, though, because um, 
if there is anyone in history that I would define as fearless and articulate, it would be the Apostle Paul. I mean, is there anybody in the world who seems to need boldness and the ability to speak the gospel? Is there anyone who seems to need that less than Paul? I mean, that guy's got it down. You're talking about a guy who, in the middle of Ephesus one time, Acts, uh, I can't remember if it's 19 or 20, tells the story. Uh, Paul is in Ephesus, and because of his preaching, because it's been so effective, uh, some of the people there who are, who are wanting to worship a false god get angry, and they start a riot, like a full-scale, city-wide riot, and thousands of people are chanting in the streets and yelling, and they pour into this giant amphitheater that kind of sits on the edge of town. Thousands of people stacked in there, screaming, and, and, and Luke says in Acts that they're screaming back and forth so loud that, that you don't even know totally what's going on, but they're angry and they're yelling, and, and he says in Acts um, that Paul is so pumped about this that he's got this gigantic audience there sitting in the amphitheater that he wants to run in and start preaching to all of them. Um, and, and all his, all his friends have to like physically restrain him and say, no, 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 Paul, the crowd is there because they hate you. Uh, the crowd is there because they want to kill you for preaching. And yet Paul is so excited because there's so many people here I could speak to and they have to pull him back. This is how fearless Paul is. This is a guy that has been um, preaching the gospel by the time he writes Ephesians, Ephesians 6, these words. He's been preaching the gospel for nearly three decades now. And he is so articulate with it that his words have become for us most of the New Testament. The primary, his words have become the primary ones we use to define the gospel. Can Paul really say that he needs prayers to be bold? This guy really needs prayers that he would be able to have the right words to say. That's all he does, is say the right words and say them with boldness. But Paul would say, yes, I need that. The reason I am fearless, the reason I am able to articulate it well, is not because of me, but because people are praying for me. Because the Spirit is working through me. Paul was not just blowing smoke in uh, verse 18 of our text this week. Romans 15 verse 18 when he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. That is, everything that I've done, and he talks, I've preached from Jerusalem to Illyricum. I have, I have spread the gospel in so many places, I'm running out of space to do it. i got to go somewhere else. But he says, all of that has been Christ doing it through me. And he believes this. And he believes this so much that he pleads with people to pray for him because he does not think that him going and doing it on his own is enough. He needs the word of God preached, or, or he, needs, uh, he needs prayers offered up to God on his behalf to help him speak the word clearly and boldly. He believes that ministry needs prayer and that prayer is ministry. That, that it is good for people to strive together with him in prayer. I think that he would agree with a man by the name of Oswald Chambers, kind of this famous devotional writer from, I believe, the 1800s. Oswald Chambers says this, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. That is, prayer is not something you do to help you do important things better. Prayer is the important thing. It's not the preparation in order to be able to do what you need to. It is what you need to be doing. It is the most important thing you could be doing, is to pray for those things. Paul would agree with that. 
but honestly, if I'm being real for you with you guys, uh, I can't say the same myself. Uh, at least I can say those things with my with my lips. Uh, that prayer is the most important thing and that it is necessary for all ministry and, and we need it for real power, but my life does not indicate that often, if I'm honest with you guys. The way I spend my time and the lack of time that I spend in prayer um, reveals I don't really believe those things. And my guess is for most of you that you would be in the same boat. Uh, that in theory you believe prayer to be really important and significant, but in practice it doesn't always look that way. Why is that? Uh, why is it that the early church, when you read through the book of Acts, you see that the early church survived on prayer and, and didn't just survive, but thrived on prayer. It was critical to its success and to its, its livelihood. And yet, for so many people in the church today, um, we seem to be, a lot of us, a prayerless people. Why is that so true for us? Why is it so hard for us to pray? I want to just tonight share uh, five reasons why we don't pray. And that's all I want to do tonight and, and spend a little bit of time on them. Some I'll spend a little bit more time on. Some will be fairly brief. But I want to talk about five reasons why we don't pray. Most of these are reasons why I often fail to pray. And then I want to encourage you to not let these things be true of you. Um, so, here we go. Number one. We do not pray because we are too easily occupied or distracted by unimportant things. I use the word unimportant there because I don't necessarily mean bad things. Many of the things that we are distracted by, many of the things that keep us from prayer are not bad. They're just not that important. And that would make sense, by the way, if you were the devil and one of your greatest strategies was to keep people from prayer. It would not be that you would always use kind of bold, in-your-face sin as the way to keep them away from it, but just to keep normal, mundane, everyday things. Um, and, and probably the thing I'm thinking of mostly when I say important things is anything with a screen on it. Um, one of the things we talk about a lot of times when we say that we... Uh, our prayer life, we, we don't have a great prayer life as we talk about how just busy we are. And it's hard for us to find time to pray. Um, I heard someone say, though, one time that our phones one day will bear testimony against us. When we look on these things and someone opens them up and looks at the amount of screen time we spend every week. I don't know the last time you got a little report on your phone telling you how much time you were on this over the last week. Or the last time you went into your settings app and just checked that. Um, but it, our phones bear witness against us for how much time we truly do have to pray, and yet we often spend it on uh, unimportant things like social media and silly little games, things that aren't bad, just things that are far less important than prayer. I get um, that we live in an interesting world where our lives, a lot of stuff that we need is on our phone, but is it not worth, um, is it not worth the ability to set these things aside so that you would know God more? Is it not worth putting 
um, getting a few less likes on Instagram to know the creator of the universe and to be more and more like his son? Is it not worth it so that people in Japan or in Saudi Arabia or people in your own town might come to know uh, Jesus for the first time because we prayed for those things to begin to happen? Um, it, it could be added, actually, here. I, I could say we also sometimes don't pray because we're distracted by important things, by good things, like homework and hanging out with good friends and those kinds of things, things we ought to be doing but, but often still take priority for us over prayer. Uh, number two, reason why we do not pray is this, is that we're not, we're not really sure that it matters. Again, I think most of us would say prayer is important and it's good, but I think there are a lot of us, I know this is me if I'm honest, there are times deep down when I really do wonder if spending an extra 10 minutes in prayer today about a given thing is going to make any difference whatsoever. Uh, If that's really going to matter in the long run. If it does, why don't I see more results in my prayer life? Or maybe I find myself wondering, doesn't God already kind of have in mind what he's going to do? Like, Doesn't God already kind of know what he's aiming towards? So what's the point of me praying? Doesn't God already know what's in my mind, what I'm thinking? Why do I have to pause and articulate those things to him? We wonder sometimes, if we're honest, if you put truth serum in us, I don't know if anybody would say this in church, but we wonder sometimes if prayer makes any big difference. But here's the thing, that the scriptures actually are pretty clear on this point. They bear a strong testimony that it does, that it matters whether or not the people of God pray. Jesus says this to us, ask and it will be given. And he says, know this, that your father is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children when they ask. He says that in Matthew 7. James says in James chapter 1, we talked about this just a couple weeks ago, that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God and God will give generously. He's a God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And we see these, um, we see Paul asking for prayer. And often when he says, uh, when he asks for prayer, he'll follow with these words, so that, he actually does it in, Rome, in, in this book to Roman here, pray this so that I will be able to come to you. In other words, if you pray this, this can happen. And if you don't pray this, this might not happen. So pray for these things. We see this actually in Scripture, and and, and often this goes against the idea that God has in mind what He's going to do, so what's the point of praying anyway? Actually, there are times, and I cannot fully explain this, there are more than once in Scripture where, where God has His mind, it seems, set on doing one thing, and then because people pray, He responds to their prayer and changes His mind. Exodus 32, after the golden calf is worshipped by the Israelites, God says to Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out because they are rebellious and idolatrous people. I'm going to start with you. And Moses prays. And he pleads with God not to wipe them off the face of the earth and to continue with them in compassion. And the text says God relents. That he changes course and decides, okay. I'll, I'll keep them. There's a point in uh, 2 Kings 20 when the prophet Isaiah shows up to Hezekiah the king because Hezekiah has come down with an illness and he tells Hezekiah, it's time to put your house in order because this is what God says, you will die from this sickness. It's going to happen. Uh, 
And Isaiah turns to leave and, and Hezekiah falls down on his knees and face and he begins pleading with God, please don't let me die like this. Please don't let this be it. And as Isaiah is about to leave the, ca- uh, the, the palace there, he receives word from the Lord to, and says to him, Isaiah, turn back around because I just heard Hezekiah's prayers. Go and tell him I listened and I will I will extend his life. This sickness will not take him. For reasons I cannot explain, there seems to be times when God chooses to go one way, and then because his people pray, he goes another. I am convinced of this, and I cannot fully explain that there are things that happen on the planet today because God's people prayed about it. And there are some things that did not happen today that could have happened if we would have prayed for it, if we would have asked him. I know there are questions as to why this doesn't seem to happen for us, um, but it does, by the way. God's people, it's not just in the Bible that God does those things. If you weren't here, if you weren't at Sunnybrook on November 10th when Jay Greer, the missionary, the church planner in Tokyo, came and shared um, his sermon there and shared his story about the time that he needed for the sake of the church to meet a famous baseball player in Japan and the way that God orchestrated that to happen, you need to go to Sunnybrook's website and listen to that sermon. Um, it's on November 10th there if you, if you go and find the sermons. It's incredible. It, it may not feel like that happens for you, and, and there are reasons why, reasons we might be able to explain that it doesn't, um, which maybe after this we can talk a little bit about that, but the testimony through Scripture and the testimony of God's people throughout history is that God responds to His people in prayer, not always the way we want, not always the way we expect, but He does, and that prayer matters and makes a difference. Number three, We often don't pray because we don't know what to do. Have you experienced that? Like you you know you should pray and and then you go and you try to do it and you find yourself just sitting there and your mind is going like a hundred miles per hour in all these different ways and you can't seem to quiet it and you can't seem to figure out how I'm supposed to be praying. What am I even supposed to pray about in this moment? I don't know. And and what should how should I even say those things? And what am I supposed to do? And and it seems like you can't sit still for more than two minutes without completely losing focus. I think a huge reason God's people fail to pray is they just don't even know how. There's a reason that Jesus' disciples paused at one time and stopped and asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. We don't know how to do it. We, we say things like prayer is just a conversation with God, and it is. But what does that mean? Um, and, and I think that a huge part of it is just not knowing what we ought to do. And so I want to give you a couple things that I think matter. Um, if you're going to be able to pray well, you need a plan for praying well. It's okay to do prayer spontaneously. We have access to God in those ways. And that's an amazing thing that while I'm walking down the street or driving my car or just sitting there in my house and something pops in that I can pray. But if all I ever try to do is that, if I only ever, my relationship with my wife is only built around random spontaneous conversation whenever I think of something, um, then our relationship's not going to be that strong. A relationship needs actually set aside time for us to converse with one another. Set aside time for me to hear from her on a regular basis and her to hear from me. The same is true with God. And so if you want to pray well, then you need to have a plan specifically when and where you will pray. Okay, what time of the day are you going to do this? And it's good to know a place a lot of times. And then I would even say what. 
um, mapping out these are the things that are on my mind. These are the things I want to be praying for. Um, another thing that I believe is huge is to let the Bible fuel your prayers. You don't know what to pray for? That's fine. Um, here's good news, actually. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. So it's okay if you don't always have the words. But one of the most important things, one of the most helpful things you could do that I found in my own prayer life is, I may not always have the right stuff to pray, but I know that the Bible does. And so I love finding prayers in the Bible and praying those prayers for myself and for my family and for my friends. Let me give you a few of them real quick. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Pray that. And as you pray each line, Lord, hallowed be your name, or may your name be honored as holy. Think about that and what it looks like for that to happen. What what makes God's name honored as holy? And then pray for those things. Here's another one. Ephesians 1, 16 through 19. Ephesians 3, 14 through 20. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And then any of the Psalms. And there are others. There, there are prayers all through uh, Paul's letters a lot of times. But here, let me, let me just give you this. If you don't know how to pray, if you feel like you suck at prayer and you want to be better, here's a great way to start. Sit down with those texts that I just gave you and assign one friend's name to each of those texts, particularly from the Pauline letters there, the Ephesians ones and the Colossians ones. Assign a friend's name to that and then just go and pray that prayer. Read those words and pray that prayer for your friend. Read those words and pray that prayer for yourself. Um, One other suggestion that I just tried for the first time on uh, yesterday, actually, yesterday morning, is praying in concentric circles. I've heard people talk about doing this, and, and this is, I think, helpful for me. And that is where you start with the innermost. That is, you start, uh, you start actually by praising God for who He is. And then you work to yourself, and you begin to pray about needs in your own life. And then you pray for family members or close friends. And then out for your church or for people at the table. And then out for lost friends that you know, and and just pray your way out like that. That can be a helpful guide for praying through things. Number four, reason why we do not pray often is for that we are often hindered by sin and shame. Here is a truth. Habitual sin makes my heart cold towards the things of God. If I do not feel much desire to be with him, if I do not feel much desire to speak with him, um, many times, not always, but oftentimes at the root of that is that my heart has been numbed to the things of God by the things of this world. Uh, that, that there is sin there that, that makes me cold towards him. And what I need most when I'm in sin is actually, ironically, the very thing I don't desire which is prayer. What I need most is to come to the God who has the ability to set me free from my sin, who has the ability to satisfy me in ways that my sin never could. But one of the deep struggles in all of this is that my sin not only makes my heart cold towards God, but even when I am convicted of my sin and even when I desire, I see the wrong in it and I want to change, the enemy often uses my sin against me by using the shame of that sin. And it is often when we are are um, 
often the times when we feel like we are least able to come to God is when we know that we have stumbled into sin that we deeply regret. And Satan whispers in our ears things like, do you really think that God wants to talk with you right now? That God wants to sit and listen to you after the thing you just did? After the kind of person that you are, after the things you do when you're alone, or the way you treat your family members? Do you really think God wants to speak with you? Or what business do you have coming to God with your needs when you've acted the way that you have? Answer to the first question, do you really think God wants to be with you? The answer biblically is absolutely. In the same way that I still want to be with my children even when they've messed up because I deeply love them. In answer to the second question, what business do you have coming to God when you are in sin? The answer is no business in and of yourself. You do not have any right to come to God, but in Jesus Christ you have every right in the world. In Christ you have all the business in the world coming to God. Hebrews 4.16 says that Jesus is a good and faithful high priest. That is, he intercedes on our behalf because of his death for our sins. And it says then, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. The writer of Hebrews says it doesn't matter if you're weak, because Jesus is your priest, and He is there, and He gives you access to the Father. 1 John 1.9 says this, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word faithful, it just means you can know this every time. No matter what you've done, no matter how deep or dark it is, no matter how um, separated you feel from Him, because of Christ's death on a cross, you can trust that every time you confess sin to Him, He forgives it. Every time He draws you to Himself. A great psalm that describes this feeling of what it is when sin has kept you from God and you finally come to Him with it, Psalm 32. Read that psalm. It is an amazing description of a person who held their sins in and it killed them until they finally took the opportunity to confess it to God. Lastly, we do not pray often, number five, because we do not feel close to God. You know how that works, right? This is something I think all of us feel from time to time, and that is just that God, for whatever reason, feels distant from us or we feel distant from Him. We feel like we we try to sit down and pray, but literally it feels like it's just me in this room, and no one's listening, like I'm just talking to myself. We, We feel this way sometimes, like I said, because of sin. We feel this way because maybe we have not maintained the relationship with God that we could. Ironically, sometimes the reason we don't pray is because we haven't been praying. And it just feels weird to kind of, it's like that friend you told him that you were going to call and you totally forgot to do it and never did it and then you bump into him and it just feels awkward. And so, so often we feel so distant from God. We feel like he's nowhere to be found. It feels like our prayers are just bouncing off of the ceiling and coming back down like there's no one listening on the other side. I feel so, I don't know, separated from him. But here is the reality that anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus is now, these two words, these two words get used to describe someone who is a Christian over and over again in the Bible, you are now in Christ. You are in Christ. That's 
big, a big part of what it means to be a Christian. Now, Jesus Christ is God. He is the second member of the Trinity, and he has lived in perfect, harmonious, um, close relationship with the Father for all eternity. You cannot get closer to God than Jesus. And what the Bible says is that we are in him, that we are in Jesus. This means, and this is a really amazing thought, that you cannot get closer or farther from God than you are. You can't be any closer to Jesus than in Jesus. You can't be any further from Jesus than in Jesus. That is what you are. So here's a really amazing truth. Uh, If you have not prayed one time or cracked open your Bible one time in the last month, you are no further from God than your friend who's prayed every day for the last month. You are no more distant from Him than your Uh, than your roommate who prays all the time, who reads their Bible every day. You are no further than them, and they are no closer. They are no closer than you. Now listen, your heart can feel distant. Your emotions, your mind may be distant from God, and that you're not listening to Him well, or your affections are not very strong for Him because of sin in your life or because of distraction. But again, if if sin is in your life, see point four. You know that you have access to Him. You know that you can come to Him and repent. But you are not, regardless of how you feel, you are never far from God. Our relationship with God is not founded in our feelings. It is founded in this objective truth that we are in Christ. That's good news. Ed Welch, a writer that I really like, once confessed to his friend, I'm trying to pray, but the truth is it just does not feel like God is there, like he's listening. And his friend simply responded with this simple question, "Uh, Have you tried praying in faith? Because it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. We don't pray based on how we feel. We pray based on our faith that this is true, that we belong to God and that He hears our prayer, that He is there when we are speaking to Him and that He listens to us. And ultimately, that is what I want us to see. Um, I don't want you to come away from this feeling guilty for not praying more. I want you to see that it is a beautiful thing that you and I can know and commune with and actually make requests of the living God, creator of the universe. And the truth is, I said this in a sermon a little while back while I got to preach, that when we do not pray, it is not God who misses out. He's fine. It's we who miss out on all that God wants to do in us and through us and for us when we do not pray. I find it fascinating. Paul prays in Ephesians 6 that he would have boldness. I don't know if you know this. Paul writes Ephesians while he's sitting in jail, while he's imprisoned in Rome. And so it's really interesting. He asked them to pray for boldness. And if you read the very last words of the book of Acts... It says that Paul is there under house arrest in Rome and that the word of God goes out, the Greek word is actually the same, unhinderedly or with boldness. And so, God answered the prayers of the people in Ephesus. It allowed Paul to do exactly what he wanted to do, and this is what I want for us, that we would be a people who draw near, 
who boldly ask for power to obey and to serve God. Let's make it our goal at this time, especially when you've got less to do anyway, when you've got time alone, when it's a chance to be quiet with your Creator. Make this a time when we would grow to be, as a ministry, a people of prayer. Not because it prepares us to do the greater thing, but because prayer is the greater thing. Because God can do more in 10 seconds than we could do in 10 lifetimes. And so we may as well be asking Him to be working on our behalf and on His behalf for His glory. That's my prayer for us, and that's what I'm going to pray for you right now. And then we'll wrap up with some questions maybe. God, I want for you to give us a hunger for prayer. I want it myself, Lord. I want to see that it matters. I want distractions to be removed from me, and I want to love coming to you in prayer, and I want that for our students. Would you make a, cause a movement among us in prayer to know you more and seek you and seek for your kingdom to come and will be done here at OSU? I ask that you would begin that in us, in our hearts tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.